Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a privilege it is to be gathered around the Word of God and to learn from it. If we could uh, consider our passage this morning, if you have the bulletin, uh, it is Leviticus chapter 10 and Exodus chapter 29. So, oh. Sorry, didn't mean to blind the front row over there with this little light. So uh, in considering our passage this morning, which is a lengthy passage, and in the will of the Lord, we'll get through it as best as we can. Uh, Let us turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, some of it was read this morning. Uh, We're going to read in verse, chapter 10, verse 19. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he hath consecrated us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and their bodies washed in pure water. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your word, Father, for what you revealed to us through it. We're so thankful for our great high priest, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is constantly working, Father. He never fails us, Father. And we ask for your help this morning in understanding these passages. In your son's most precious name, We do pray, amen. Like I said, we're studying Leviticus and Exodus. And uh, brothers and sisters, I turned here to uh, get to the good news. This is the good news, brothers. This is where we come in. This is, uh, we're going to be reading Old Testament. And this is the New Testament where we come in, where it applies to us. And uh, whenever we, when I was a young person, we would, um, I'm talking about young, six, seven years old. We would have family devotions. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very thankful for my parents for even though we didn't want to at the time as a child, we would sit down and my parents would make us read. We would read the Bible, sometimes chronologically, through the Old Testament. And I remember reading through the Old Testament after reading all these sacrifices and having a hard time pronouncing these words in Spanish. Nonetheless, we would read the Bible. And uh, we would get to chapter 10 of Leviticus, and I would always find it hard. How could there be so much instruction? Everything goes so well. And, and as, as a child, I didn't quite understand it, but to me, that scripture was always hard. These two you know, young men, in my mind, they were young. When I would hear the word son, I would picture a young person. Uh, you know, They would commit one error, and that would be the end of them. Um, but considering that, now we, we see the better covenant that our brothers spoke about this morning in the Lord's Supper. So uh, hopefully we'll have time to come back to Hebrews. Let's go now to our passage uh, in First Exodus chapter 29. So we were giving two passages. Leviticus chapter 10, the priests who sinned, who offered up the wrong offering, 
you, you might want to say, or trying to do something the wrong way, approaching God the wrong way. But in chapter 29, I was uh, giving this portion, uh, and this portion has to do with the consecration of the priest. Um, our brother Larry Price did a fantastic job a few weeks ago in introducing us into the book of Leviticus. And uh, it's worth mentioning that God created man in the Garden of Eden, and he would speak to Adam, and he wanted to have a relation to, to be with Adam, but then sin came in. And then throughout these generations, you see that God would just speak to certain individuals to reveal himself. But never did God, was God able to dwell amongst the people. And you, you see that God would reveal just part of his glory, saying the burning bush when he would speak to Moses. Uh, our brother Aaron spoke a few weeks back where Moses actually asked God, show me thy glory. Imagine that. Don't we want to see the glory of God, brothers and sisters? Isn't that something that we want to desire? But God responds to him. This is Exodus 32, I believe. He goes, no man can see my glory and live. And again, he would show Moses his backside. I mean, I couldn't imagine the privilege of what it was to be, to be in that place. But the fullness of the glory of God cannot be revealed to man the way we are. We would, we would perish. So the question to begin is a priest. What is a function of a priest? Why do we need a priest? Well, a sinner that wants to have some kind of communion with God needs to offer a sacrifice. And if you want to worship God, you need, in a sense, a mediator to bring that offering, bring that gift to God. And that's where the priest comes in. And so in the sort of way, he's kind of a mediator between the people and God. And so in chapter 29, we see the consecration of the priests. Another word for consecrate is a dedication to be set apart. These, these uh, special family, which was selected of God. Let's not forget that. The consecration of the priest is a work of God. So let's just read. It's a lot of verses, so we'll probably just read some verses and skip around. And... Uh, with the help of God, we'll uh, get the main picture. Reading in verse 1, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, uh, to hollow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and an unleavened bread, and cakes of unleavened uh, tempered with oil, and the wafers unleavened anointed with them, uh, of wheat and flour thou shalt make them, and thou shalt put them in one basket, bring them in the basket, with the bullock and the two rams, and Aaron and his sons, thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt wash them with water, and thou shalt take the garments and put them upon Aaron, uh, 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 put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the and the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the uh, curious girdle of the ephod. And thou shalt put the mitre on his head, and put the holy crown upon the mitre. Then thou shalt take the anointing oil, and pour it on the head, and anoint him. And thou shalt bring his sons, and put the coats on them. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, and Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them. And the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statue and thou shalt consecrate Aaron 
and his sons. Now skipping down to verse, uh, the latter part of verse 42. Where I, this is God speaking, where I will meet you and speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of God and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory and I will sanctify the tabernacle of congregation and the altar and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office and I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. So we have, if, if you think of sequence of events, God takes his children, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, takes them out of bondage from Pharaoh and into, you could say into a wilderness, but he just didn't free them to run loose, to do whatever they wanted. He had a purpose for them, And if you recall, they gathered around after a, a few events and they saw the works that God did to free them. They gathered around the Mount of Sinai and God came in a cloud and a great furnace fire that the people trembled, right? It was a sight to behold. They were fearful and they said to Moses, go speak to God because we're terrified of him. Just the glory of God. They were, it was just a glimpse. He was on top of the mountain and, and God instructed that nobody is to touch the mountain, even an animal, it's going to die. So Moses goes up to the mountain, and then God reveals to him uh, the, the commandments, gives to him all the different laws, and sad to say that while this is going on, the people, there's that whole debacle of the golden calf. But going back to when God is giving these instructions to Moses, he's giving instructions on the, the tabernacle, which they are to construct gives them uh, detailed information on the certain vessels, the holy vessels, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the labor, the brazen altar, the, the, the fabric uh, of the garments of the, the, the high priest that's going to that's gonna be worn. It's actually covered in the previous chapter. So there's all this detailed information that God is given. And um, that's why it's incredible that with these descriptions, you could have these model tabernacles that, you know, we've actually had one here before and, and, um, and presented where we could actually construct it from these details because it's God leaves basically almost nothing to the imagination on how to construct this thing. And this shows us something about God, that God, he wants to dwell with his people, and he says nobody could see my glory, but he, he desires to be with his people, so he provides a means on how it is to be done and gives very specific instructions. And in this particular portion that we're considering is the consecration of the priest. Not anybody that just desires could walk before the Lord. Not anybody just that wants, even that they have the, the zeal that they want to do, they want to be involved with the Lord, they want to uh, be in the priestly ministry, they can't. It is the consecration of the priest is a work of the Lord. Um, if, if you consider, so the instructions to tabernacle, golden calf, all that runs to the end of uh, Exodus. 
And this chapter, basically, it's, it's copied over. So the instruction here for the, for the consecration of the priests is given in chapter 29 of Exodus. And in, in Leviticus chapter 8, it's almost an identical chapter, but here is the instruction now being carried out. Uh, why we're turning back and forth from uh, Exodus 29 to Leviticus chapter 10, uh, it's beyond me. I don't know the elders chose that passage. We could have easily covered chapter 8, but you could take it up with them. But brothers and sisters, be gracious as it is the word of God. And um, all kidding aside, we, we will go back and forth. So the consecration of the priest, just um, I see it's time's flying. We just want to point out a few things that have to do with the consecration of the priest. If you look, again, I mentioned it is the consecration of the priest comes from God. If I'm looking at Leviticus chapter 8. In verse 1, it says, the Lord spake to Moses. In verse 4, it says, Moses did as the Lord commanded. In verse 5, it says, um, Moses said unto the congregation, this is a thing which the Lord commanded to be done. In verse 9, it says, um, the Lord commanded. Again, the, in the latter part of the verse, the, these are all the meticulous instructions that were covered in verse 13. It says, And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and put the coats on them and gird them with girdles and the bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded. In verse 21, the latter part, it says, As the Lord commanded Moses. Brothers and sisters, do you get the point? That the consecration of the priest is a command. It's, it's from the Lord. It's not something that mankind says, Okay, we're going to set these people aside to do this work for the Lord. No, it's the Lord. He gives the meticulous instruction. And um, as we, we just briefly mentioned in the book of Hebrews, how the, our great high priest is Jesus Christ. And he has made us kings and priests. Remember that verse in, in Revelations. He has washed us in his blood. He has made us kings and priests. Did you know that, brothers and sisters? Did you know that if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you are a priest? And it is of the Lord. Okay, uh, let's not turn too much aside. Uh, the first thing that I want to point out in, in the consecration of the priests is that Aaron and his sons were brought. The preparation with, with the, the sacrifices that were to be done. Uh, we're not going to get into detail of that. Uh, and the garments were brought, correct? And then in, verse ch in chapter 29, in verse 4, it says that they were washed with water. Or washed with water is signifying a regeneration. A regeneration. In um, Titus chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. Chapter 3, verse 5. Very familiar portion. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. He has cleansed us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's a work. So you see that the, the priest, it, it was essential. It was a qualification for them to be regenerated. Now, our great high priest, he didn't have that need because he was perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came and he had no sin of himself. And if you continue reading the, the chapter, uh, there's these sacrifices that were brought. And our brother Larry Price went into some of the detail. Again, there was a lot of sacrifices. 
And some of these sacrifices were done for the consecration of the priest. Uh, all of them, almost all of them were mentioned except for the trespass offering, which didn't apply for here because they were to be holy. A trespass offering is if you touch something unclean, they got defiled. But the priests were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be set apart. And uh, so they go through the different sacrifices. If you, if you could, you'll see the, the sin offering for themselves. You'll see the burnt offering. You'll see the meal offering or the meat offering. And you'll see that executed through the chapter. And then the point of the, the whole uh, consecration was the verses that we read at the very end, that God will come and sanctify them, that, that, that he will show his glory and he will dwell amongst his people. Uh, that's enough said on Exodus 29, as seen as time's gone, and the portion that we really should be focusing on is Leviticus chapter 10. Before we uh, read the first couple of verses of Leviticus chapter 10, we see that the Lord commanded, right? In Leviticus 8, the consecration of the priest, the Lord commanded, and chapter 9, they be actually begin the priestly work, and I'm just going to read in verse 23. And Moses went into the tabernacle congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto the people. And there came out fire before the Lord and consumed the altar and the burnt offering and the fat, which, the, which when the people, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So here's the climax of the Lord confirming or accepting the consecration and, and the burnt offerings uh, start. So it starts with commandments and it continues with obedience. Here's the climax. This is the way it's supposed to happen. It, the, the chapter 9 ends in obedience and the Lord is confirming that he's accepting them. And then the very next verses, you kind of have to scratch your head. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their, uh, took their uh, either uh, of them his censer. And take a, take a, uh, a note of that, his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said unto Aaron, this is, what it, this is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What a, a, a astounding a turn of events. Um, the, the time period between verses 23 and 24 and, and chapter uh, 1, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, I don't know. It, it's probably not that much. I don't know if there was maybe Nadab and Abihu were, were overly enthusiastic by, by the, the, the acceptance of the sacrifices and the consecration that everything went well. Maybe uh, some emotion got in them or... Perhaps there's, the scripture doesn't say specifically what they were thinking when they committed this great sin. But we do see that it was wrong. Okay? So what did they do that was incorrect? Let's just briefly uh, uh, touch that. In, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says they grabbed their own censers. Okay? The, the uh, altar of incense had its own special sensor. You could say the whole, they're part of the holy vessels of the tabernacle. Okay? And they grabbed their own sensor. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two is they put uh, strange fire and offered it before the, the veil. 
Now, this is strange fire. This is, uh, the, this is mistake number two. The fact, well, actually, before that, the fact that they even went in to do this was a mistake. If, if we uh, consider just uh, Exodus chapter 30, I, I, I hate to flip back and forth, but in chapter 30, it starts giving the, the instruction on the tabernacle. And in, in verse 9, it says, you shall not burn no, you shall burn no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shalt thou put drink offering thereon. This is talking about the altar of incense. And the altar of incense was, had a specific purpose. It was in the morning and in the evening, the high priest would go in there and offer and burnt the, the, the burnt offering, I mean, the, not the burnt offering, the incense before the veil, before the, 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 the holiest of holies. It was only in the morning and in the evening. This doesn't specifically say what time they went in there. It could have been morning, it could have been evening, but either way, they didn't belong because it said it was specifically for Aaron. So that was their, their second mistake, right? And then the other um, uh, situation where they would uh, burn incense was Day of Atonement. This was certainly not the Day of Atonement. So we see their great sin. And to conclude, the, the, the greatest of sin was the burning of the common fire, a strange fire. The altar of incense, um, it, was, it was to continually burn the sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. And it was to be lit with a coal from God's fire, from the brazen altar. Uh, you could think of uh, another situation where something like that happened, where King Uzziah, King Uzziah, by the, uh, God is gracious, the writer of, the, of uh, Chronicles in chapter 26, you could read this account, he says that he was a king that did what was right in the sight of God. He was a great king. He had great victories. But the writer goes on to write, and around in verse 26, we don't have time, so we're not going to turn there. It says that he was puffed up. He might have just had a great victory over the Philistine. He was puffed up. And I don't know if he himself, within himself, it was a foolish thing to do, felt like, I want to do more for the Lord. I'm going to go to the, uh, the, the, the enter into the temple and, and burnt incense before the Lord. And uh, the, the high priest actually caught him with 20 other men and said, this is not, this is not your responsibility this is not of you. It's standing up to the king. And it says that, Azur, that Uzziah was wroth. He was wroth. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. And he's known as the leprous king. And he was leprous until the day of his death. A king that did was, that was right before the Lord. This is the account. But he, that responsibility, that honor was not his. Even, even if he was burning the right incense. And then my mind goes to that, that vision of Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. And you can see Isaiah, it's almost lamenting this great king. Because to tell you the truth, the, the sequence of kings was, was up and down, up and down. And in, in Jerusalem's side, it was completely, I mean, in Israel's side, it was completely, they were all bad. But in, in, in the, the house of Judah, there was good kings and there was bad kings. So Isaiah was lamenting this, this king that died. I saw, and then he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he could see uh, the glory of the Lord. And, and what, would, what would Isaiah see? He would see this, it was, the room was full of smoke. And in the picture, it's, it's almost like he's, he's visualizing the, 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 the incense is covering the temple. And he says, whoa, 
is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people that are unclean. And, and Isaiah would feel that I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Uh, and you know, and you know, the, and the the continue of the story where the angel would come and he would put the coal on his on his lips to cleanse him. But that that is the the scene that that's that's kind of here with with the incense. Now, what is the the purpose of the incense? Like we said before, God's glory can't fully be revealed to to even the priests themselves. Um, we're not going to go there again because of time uh, constraint. But later, later in the same book of Leviticus, chapter 16, the, whole, the high priest now will enter the holiest of holies, and he would enter with what? The censer. And what would, what would the censer do? It would burn this sweet-smelling aroma, but it would create this big cloud. And it would cover, in a sense, it would veil, make a veil between him and the Ark of the Covenant, where the glory of God dwell in between the, cher the cherubim. So in between, imagine that, that the, the high priest would enter and there would be the ark and he would have to come in with the censer to make a, a cloud to kind of veil the glory of the Lord while he did his priestly ministry there. What, what are we saying with all this? What is the point? Why did God write, God give us this story well, we, we kind of covered it at the beginning. God will be approached in his own terms, brothers and sisters. God will be worshipped in his own terms. We don't come to God the way we want to. We don't worship God the way we desire. It is of the Lord. And it's a, a, a very, it's, it's, a, it's a hard lesson to read at the beginning. You're, you, you think maybe these priests, they, they had good intentions. Maybe they, they just wanted to, to give some kind of sacrifice of themselves. The Lord is holy. We covered that. And, and our brother Larry described in, in the, the different sacrifices how the Lord is holy. And he will be approached in his own terms. How can uh, we, we apply this today? Well, we could look at some uh, examples in, in history, in, in biblical history, where, where something like this applied. I want to just very, very briefly, uh, and I say briefly, uh, let's just look at in an event that occurred twice. And this had to do, again, with one of the holy vessels in approaching God. This is, has to do with the people of Israel after the time of Judges, right when Samuel was very young. It says that the people of the children of Israel were in the land already, and they would war back and forth with the Philistines, and they had trouble getting the victory. And it, it, uh, the account starts in, in chapter 4 that they went and fought against the Philistines in chapter 4, verse 3, and they were defeated. And it says that the, the elders gathered and say, uh, why has the Lord, you know, let us be defeated before the Philistines? And in a sense, it's, it's good for the elders. Why are we defeated? It was a great testimony that Scott DeGroff gave when he was in his assembly in Topeka, Kansas, and he said, why are we spiritually defeated? Why are we not seeing people saved? It's good to bring up the question. But their solution was foolish. It says, let us fetch the ark. Let us fetch. And that word to me just sounds almost disrespectful. Let us fetch the ark so that it may go before us and it may save us. It. 
Speaking about the, the, the furniture, and, and the ark was this box with the, the cherubim on top, and in a sense it was the throne where God would dwelt here on earth. It's a miracle that that, that little room that's approximately 15 by 15 in the Holy of Holies could contain this little box where God would dwell in between the cherubim. That's just mind-boggling. And they're th thinking about if they grab this vessel here and take it before the enemy, that they will have great victory. Well... God doesn't like his chair being taken away in, in layman's terms. And what happens is drastic, drastic, terrible, terrible outcome. It says that the children of Israel fell, that the Philistines fought. Every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter, 30,000 men in one day. Brothers and sisters, I don't know of a darker day in the history of Israel in biblical times that 30,000 men died in one day. Maybe you could show it to me, but it was terrible. And, then, and the people fled. There was great defeat. And it's, it's almost a sense it was a, a blemish towards the testimony that the, of God that the Philistines would see. Well, we defeated these people. We took their, we, in, in their mind, and you'll read the, the account that they took their God. So then they take the ark and set it before Dagon. And not to go into detail, the Lord deals with the Philistines. He doesn't need anybody to fight his own battles. He himself defeats the Philistines. They set him in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon's this big old statue standing over the ark. Then when they come in the next morning, Dagon's on his face. And then they have to stand up their own God. Imagine that if you have to physically help your own God to stand. It's kind of a sad picture. But the Philistines, you know, they were like, oh, you know, maybe there was an earthquake or something. He stood back up. The very next day he came in there, and it says that the head and arms and hands of Dagon were cut off. Okay, wait a minute. There's something going on here. And the Philistines would pride themselves in, in wisdom and in strength. And you could see, you know, God makes the, the wisdom of men look foolish, right? First Corinthians chapter 5. And God would, it says that the hand of God was heavy upon them. And, and God would deal with the, the Philistines and bring his own ark back without any of the help of the people. No man could glory in that, right? And, and the people, and, and it's, it's also no mentioning that the Philistines sent the ark back when milk cows so they could see, they were testimony, they were witnesses that this is God. Because we're putting the the, the uh, ark and a cart, a new cart. They have no idea about the Levitical priesthood. They have no idea how to ha handle these holy uh, uh, vessels. So the Lord would be gracious in that. So he put the ark in a new cart, put them in milk cows to leave their calves, and the ark would just go straight without wavering back and forth to Israel. Now let's look at the second part of that story. And this is found now, fast forward maybe about 40 years after the time of Saul into the time of David. And David was a man after God's own heart. He fully wanted to do God's will. He wanted to please God in everything that he did and how he would fail, brothers and sisters. His sin was so grievous. But at the, the end, the Lord would say, he was a man after mine own heart. Amen to that, that, that we could, uh, even though we're, we have our infirmities, we have our defects, we have, uh, you know, the things that are wrong with us, that we could still get to a, a, a position where God could say, that man, I know his heart. I know where his heart is. And, and this is seen uh, in this, this uh, same case with David. It says that David wanted to inquire of the ark because they had not inquired of it since the days of 
of Saul. And that's found in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, if you want to go there. I'm just seeing we're out of time already. So in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it says that he wants to inquire of it because they have not inquired since the days of Saul. How sad of a testimony is that for Israel? Since the days of Saul that he reigned in Israel, in Israel they had not inquired of the ark. And, and David, you know, full of zeal, wanting to please and to serve God, he went and he, he got the ark, he, he put it on a new cart, and I'm sure it was a fantastic cart with wheels and decorative. And, and he, he, they carried the ark to the house, uh, from the house of Abimadad where the, the ark was. And uh, Yuza uh, and Io drove the cart. And Israel came out with all their might. As I'm reading verse 8. Singing with harps and psalteries and trembles and cymbals and trumpets. And there was dancing. There was rejoicing. The Lord is coming into the city. But it was not according to knowledge, brothers and sisters. It says that one of the, the ark hit a stone and it stumbled. And somebody put their hand out. The Lord smote them. And David was upset. He, didn't, he, he, he was wanting to serve the Lord. But it, it's, just, it's just gone wrong. And, and David didn't know what to do. So the, house went to, the ark went to the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed, the, the ark dwelt in the house of Obed-Edom for a short period of time and it says that the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom. It's a blessing to have the Lord amongst us. Amen. When the Lord's the, the presence of the Lord like we were here this morning we're in worship and in true hearts presenting the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ before God and the presence of the Lord is felt the Lord blesses the place. And in a sense that's what David wanted to have the Lord close to him. And if you fast forward to chapter 15 it doesn't say the details of what David did, but he goes, he was now prepared again to bring the, the ark in. And it says that in verse 2, it reads, None shall carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them the Lord is chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. David did his homework. He read his Bible. He went back into the books of Moses. He studied what would please the Lord. He wants to please the Lord. How can I please the Lord? The way God wants to be pleased. How do we approach God? The way God wants to be approached. How do we worship God? The way God wants to be worshipped. Brothers and sisters, it's a sobering thought. We can't, in it of ourselves, we can't evoke worship. We ourselves, like our brother said, we have nothing to offer. If it's apart from Jesus Christ, we have nothing to offer. There was a speaker that, that said a quote. His name was Bernard Osborne, and he says, Worship, it is the overflow, it's the overflow of a heart filled with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? If your heart is filled with Christ and it just overflows, that pouring out, it's, it's the worship. And, and we want to worship God. We want to come before him. We want to be in his presence. It has to be done in his own terms. It has to be, it has to be presenting Jesus Christ. So how did David do in this second time? Well, we're not going to read the accounts. And, and he, so he, he needs Levites. What does David do? In verse 5, he gets 120 from the, the, the house, the sons of Kothath. Uh, he gets 220 in verse 6. He gets 130 in verse 7. He gets 200 in verse 8. He gets 80 in verse 9. He gets 120 in verse 10. And, and then he gets, I, I mean, 
the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, uh, two cubits by two cubit and a half, and, and the dimensions, it, it's a box, very beautiful box, of acacia, maybe it's heavy, covered in gold with the, the cherubim on top, and it has these rings on the sides where these poles would get put that would be covered in gold, and the Levites would bear the Ark. I'd imagine it takes four Levites on each side to bear the Ark. Well, if I did my math right, it's about 862 Levites. Is that enough? I mean, if David wants to do the Lord's work, he wants to please them, he does it full-heartedly with all his might, with all his strength, with all his soul. That's what worship requires of us. We, we want to do it with, with everything that we have to offer, but the way God wants it, brothers and sisters. And so it says that the, the Levites bear the ark, and then again, now everything, the joy, the, the singing, the, the instruments, the trumpets, everything comes in its place. And everybody is blessed. And the Lord accepts it. Look how beautiful this verse is in verse 26. And it came to pass that God helped the Levites bear the ark. How many do we say? 800, 862 Levites. God helped them. God helped them. What if there was going to be a wind, a, a gust of wind, and, and something happened, and one of them tripped, the ark would have fallen, the holy articles would have fallen? God helped them bear that ark. I tell you, if there was a typhoon, if there was a hurricane, if there was anything, anything of that category, God would help them bear that ark and they would not fail. Amen, brothers and sisters? Okay, we're not going to get to cover everything that we need to. So uh, for now, let's go back to, um, well, maybe we should go back to Leviticus. Now let's, let's go back to Hebrews. Wanna, I apologize. So God wants to be close. He wants to dwell amongst his people. And he wants it in his own terms, brothers and sisters. The verses that we read having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Imagine if you were the high priest. You're, you're consecrated. You're, I mean, you're, you're set apart from, from the congregation, and you're entering in the veil, and you're burning that incense, and you're making that cloud and the glory of the Lord's before you. Could you imagine? Huh? I would be fearful just to, to know that the presence of God is... And do you think they entered with boldness? So, so we could enter the holiest with boldness by the blood of Jesus. Brothers, if we're going to worship God, it has to be by the blood of Jesus. Any, any of our own worship that's, not, that's out of Christ, it's, it's empty. Having a new and living way which he consecrated us. Imagine that. He consecrated us. Just like these priests, he consecrated us. He, he, he set us apart for a living way through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And that flesh, we're talking about Calvary. He died. He shed his blood to consecrate us. That was the cost of our salvation. That was the cost to make us priests to our God. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Draw near. What a contrast, to draw near to God as opposed to stay out. That's not permitted. 
Now we draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. The blood of Jesus Christ does those things. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifice of Christ, cleansed us from our sins and washed us from an evil conscience. Uh, just to consider a few verses from the same book of Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse, in, in verse 19. It says, For the law made nothing perfect, but bringing in the better hope, ho the better hope did by, by the, I'm sorry, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto, uh, get, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Come to God, to draw near to God. Um, we discussed a, a little bit the old covenant in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. For, uh, then verily, uh, the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service, which we, we read some of those, those uh, ordinances from the first covenant, the, the, the tabernacle, the holy vessels. There was uh, a lot of instruction given. There was all those chapters in Leviticus and Exodus, how it is to be done. But look, even with all those ordinances, what does it say? Uh, for there was a tabernacle made, then the first wherein was the candlestick, the table, and the, sh uh, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and then there's a second veil. So there's all these ordinances, but in, in verse 9 it says, which was a figure uh, for the time then present in which we were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. Or the, the worshiper can't make him perfect of a conscience. So the, the first covenant could not give you, let you worship, could not give you that, that pure conscience. Brothers and sisters, we come to worship Jesus Christ this morning. Are we under this old covenant? Do we have a, a blemished conscience? Look in uh, verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come, high priest of, of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is to say, not this building, neither by blood of goats or of calves, but by his own blood, entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. To continue to read, we have a clean conscience through the blood of Christ. We're well over time, brothers and sisters. We didn't cover the portion that was given to us, but in the will of God, we, our hearts will be refreshed with these passages. How terrible it must have been that day in Israel when the priestly, the, 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 the Aaronic priesthood just began and there was failure. And in, in, in a sense, it's almost kind of like foretelling what's going to happen. It's going to fail. Why? Because we're human. We sin. And, and so was Aaron. God bless his heart. But he, he did the best he could, and his sons committed a great folly. If you read Aaron's account, he, you know, he had that great sin with the calf, but he served the Lord. When it, was, when it came time, it says, God told Moses, take Aaron before the congregation, take his son, 
give his garments, garments of glory, to his son. And his son Eleazar became the high priest and Aaron would die because he, was, he, he wasn't perfect. He sinned. He committed sin. How contrast we have between him and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was fully holy, who had no sin in him. And, and not to get into detail, but Christ makes, a, God makes an oath. Thou art forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and, and God swears by him. He goes, you are a priest forever. We have a high priest that will fail not. We didn't get into detail, but the, the garments of the high priest, there was, the, the robe was made of one piece. It was one, one piece. It was a, a priestly garment. The, your mind goes to Jesus Christ when he was being tried. He took his garment and was woven of one piece. It was a priestly garment. And, and the garment was, they were going to tear apart, but it was prophesied. They cast lots for it. The garment was not rent. If you read now the false high priest, I call him the false high priest, Caiaphas at the time, when, when, when he says, are you the son of God? And, and, and God, Christ finally responds to him. What does he do? He, he says that he rents. In the Matthew's account, he rents his garment, which we didn't cover. It was in Leviticus, the, the, the portion of Leviticus. The high priest was never, the priest was never to rent their garments. It was a false priesthood. But we, brothers and sisters, we have a high priest who is better. And we covered this morning, we have a better high priest. We have a better covenant, the new covenant that my brother said in the Lord's Supper. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better offering. We have it better. Amen. Let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for, for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our high priest that's constantly making intercession for us. Father, we're so thankful for the atonement made through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the continual work that he does for us. Father, we just ask that you would give us wisdom on how to approach thee, how to never, never, uh, in a sense, burn strange fire before you, but to give uh, worship that is worthy to you, for you seek them to wor you seek worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth, Father. We we pray that you would give us uh, consecrated hearts to you, that we would that our worship uh, would would be of our hearts that would be overflowing of Jesus Christ. We ask for the congregation as a whole, Father, that you would help us to take these passages that we didn't do justice to cover them all, but that you would help us to meditate upon them and that our worship would be the worship that you require of us and delight in. We ask these things in your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.